we're going to talk about a thing called practicing, because action is the magic word in the spiritual way of life that we're trying to learn here. Remember what we said before. The spiritual way of life is not so much an ethereal, otherworldly thing as it is the relationships that we have with each other. Uh, the goal that you have an opportunity to reach while you're here, or to begin reaching, let's put it that way, is a thing called sobriety. And there are a lot of misconceptions about what sobriety really is. Uh, some people think that sobriety is that you don't drink. And there's a grain of truth in that, a very large grain of truth, because not drinking is probably the lowest form of sobriety. But growth is involved, and as growth continues, sobriety comes to be quite something else. It comes to include loving other people, uh, helping other people, uh, growing every day as a human being. And the definition that I like of sobriety is that sobriety is an alcohol-free state of being which is characterized by freedom and happiness. Uh, now, I am a sober person, and if I were not happy and free, I don't think I would too much like sobriety. So keep that in mind. Sobriety is a lot more than just not drinking. It's an alcohol-free state of being characterized by freedom and happiness. This is the goal that you'll begin to reach while you're here. Sobriety is a way of life. It's a way that we live. And it's an art. I don't know if you thought about that, but sobriety is an art. And if we want to learn sobriety, we'll have to learn it just as we would learn any other art. Are there any artists in here? Musicians, painters, writers? Okay. Fine. Then you have to learn an art. An art is the ability to systematically apply knowledge in order to obtain the desired result. So there are two elements involved in any art. First off, you have to gain the knowledge, the basics, the fundamentals. And second, and maybe more important, is you have to put this basic fundamental knowledge into action. Now, when you put the knowledge into practice for a given period of time, over a long period of time usually, it becomes a part of you. In other words, you learn something and you do it and you do it and you do it and you continually gain knowledge about it, and the longer you do it, the more it becomes a part of you. So it becomes really a part of your character. You have learned something, really learned something, when your character is changed, your way of doing things has changed. Now, the, the habitual actions that you take and the knowledge upon which they're based will make a change in you as a person. Okay? So we could say that knowledge plus practice equals learning. And learning, when I talk about it, I'm not talking about a head trip. I'm not talking about the gaining and storing of knowledge. Learning to me means a permanent change in behavior. A permanent change in behavior, which is brought about by practicing what you have learned and stored in your mind. So learning changes your character. First you get the knowledge, then you put it into practice. When you've done this, you have learned, it becomes a part of you, therefore it changes you as a human being. Now the art of sober living follow a definite pattern. Knowledge and practice, again, produce learning. Learning changes character. Character changes your way of living. Bill W., one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, put it this way. Understanding is the key to right principles and attitudes, and right action is the key to good living. And this brings us right to the subject of this lesson, action. We need to know what the right principles are. What do we need to learn? What is the right knowledge? What is the truth? 
And what are the right actions? And we're going to try to answer these questions in this lesson. All right? Action, to begin with. Action could be defined as purposeful movement. Let's put it up the other way. Purposeful movement towards a goal. Purposeful movement towards a goal is the way we define action. And action, in the sense we're using it, is a process that involves continuous effort. Effort. And this continuous effort is what practice is. And the movement that you make along this line toward your goal is what we refer to as growth. Action is continuous, purposeful movement toward a goal. The further along you move, the more you grow. It's important for us to understand the difference between action and activity. There's a big difference in those two things. Action is always directed toward the goal, and activity usually is not directed toward any goal. Let's illustrate. Take the alcoholic who runs from one facility to another, from one psychiatrist to another, from one doctor to another, from one minister to another. He's engaging in sometimes frantic activity, looking for a magic answer to his problem. There's no action, there's no goal. Not really. But the alcoholic who latches on to a program of recovery and makes an effort to follow the directions of that program to the best of his ability is engaging in action. Okay? I can use an example from my own life. Uh, I went into the program when I was 23 years old. And for the next seven years, I engaged in frantic activity. I learned everything in the sense of head knowledge that there was to learn. And I went to meetings sometimes eight a week. And sometimes I got drunk on the way home. And sometimes I got drunk on the way to the meeting. I was engaged in activity. I really didn't know what my goal was. Somehow some nebulous idea about I've got to quit hurting. I've got to quit hurting. Kept me going. And I was engaged in activity. But when I came to that place called Bottom Gym, it wasn't activity anymore. It was real. It was action. Action also means direction, folks. If you're going to take a given action, you ought to follow the direction given for that action. There's no other way. Now, let's look at principles. Principles are basic rules or laws which guide or explain behavior. Principles are usually found through observation and experience. Take the principle of gravity. That's a law, okay? It was discovered by accident, according to legend anyway. An apple fell off a tree next to this guy, and he got thinking about it, and he noticed that every apple that fell, fell down. And he came up with a thing called the law of gravity. And some of you who've had mathematics, maybe some, some mathematics in school, what they call new math, has learned something about a thing called the commutative principle, Okay? And the commutative principle says that you can add 1 plus 2 or 2 plus 1 and get the same answer. That's a law, a commutative law of mathematics. Now, neither of these things just came into being. They were discovered. Now, there are good principles and bad principles. Let's keep that in mind. False ones and true ones. There was a principle, for instance, for years that this world was flat. That's what people believed. There was a principle for years that this earth was the center of the universe. That's what people believe, and it turned out to be false. There's still some people, I believe, uh, uh, who, who use the principle like this. If God had meant man to fly, he would have given them wings. Okay? 
So good or true principles lead to knowledge and health. Bad or false principles lead to sickness and ignorance. Now, principles are learned, and when you learn principles, your behavior will be guided by those principles. Make no mistake about it. Now, principles, as well as being guides to behavior, also become goals of behavior. For example, if you guide your life by the principle of kindness, then obviously one of your goals in life is to be a kind person. And if your conduct is guided by the principle of personal wealth, what you really want is to be rich. Those are principles. Another obvious fact about principles is that they're, they're derived from your personal values and beliefs. Here we go again. What is valuable or important to you and what you believe is in the final analysis your set of principles. What are your principles? What's the most important thing in the world to you today? Think about it. What do you believe about yourself, about others, and about the world? Because what you believe about it determines the way you're going to act and react in this world and the way you're going to feel and the kind of memories you're going to have. Values and beliefs, we stand on them. We live by them. They guide our behavior. I would suggest that you find out what yours are. Now, at the core of our illness, alcoholism, there's a certain set of principles. In a very real way, our illness comes into being and gets worse because of those principles which have guided our behavior. What do we tell you are character defects? These are principles which guide our behavior. And we live according to those principles, those character defects. And the main guide to my conduct over the years, you can judge whether or not it was to yours, is that I was going to do things my way. That was the main guide to my conduct. Selfishness was the key to my illness. And much experience and observation have confirmed that this is true of most people, including most alcoholics. We're not speculating. Now, in this lesson, what I'm going to do to you is suggest some basic good principles which probably will guide you to change and thus get well, become a sober person. Now, let's summarize the relationship of action, principles, and sobriety. Remember, action is purposeful movement towards a goal. Principles are rules or laws which guide or explain behavior. Sobriety is an alcohol-free state of being characterized by freedom and happiness. Now, let's put them together. Continuous action... That is, practice a principle, and remember that this includes knowledge of them and doing them. Continuous action on certain principles leads to growth which moves you toward the goal which is sobriety. Continuous action on certain principles will produce sobriety. No ifs, ands, and buts. Now, here's an important point. It's entirely possible to have full knowledge of these principles and never become a sober person. Do you understand that? It is also possible to engage in the frantic activity I spoke about without the knowledge and still never become a sober person. These two things are intimately connected and cannot be separated. You must know what the principles are, and knowing them, you must do them. Sobriety is learning. 
Have you thought about that? Sobriety is learned just like arithmetic is learned. Think back when you were in school. You wanted to learn arithmetic, you signed up for the course, you paid your tuition, you bought the uh, textbook, you went to class with other people who were trying to learn arithmetic, you listened to the teacher, you did your homework, and bingo, you learned arithmetic. Same way with sobriety. Same way with sobriety. It is learned. What are the principles, then, that lead us to this goal? We're supposed to practice principles and grow towards that goal of sobriety. What are they? Tell us that. Kindness, tolerance, patience, commitment, faith, surrender, humility. There is, uh, the list is almost endless. But this morning, I want to focus on just four of the principles which I think are very, very important if we are to grow into sobriety. The first of these is honesty. Let's talk about that one for a minute. What is honesty? There are an awful lot of screwy ideas about what honesty really is. And definitions vary considerably. For instance, pick up your dictionary. To be honest means to be real, frank, genuine, authentic. I love that. Or of good character. And even though honesty deals with outward behavior, such as not stealing, not cheating, it goes deeper than that. It goes deeper than that. I don't know how many times I've talked to people and they said, yes, I'm honest, I've never stolen, I've never cheated. And yet they will not tell you the truth about the depth or the nature of their alcoholism. Now, people think they're honest who are not. That's what I'm saying. People think they're honest when they're not. They may be totally honest with people on the outside, and yet when they sit a bottle down in front of them, they'll con themselves into believing that they can drink this time regardless of all the bad experiences of the past. Call it what you want to. I'm lying to myself when I do that. Honesty works two ways. It deals with your relationship with yourself and with other people. The kind of honesty that I am talking about as a principle is total, Absolute honesty with yourself and with others. Are you going to reach that goal next Thursday? Two months from now? No. A year from now? No. It is a process and not an event. It is a growth process, this total honesty. Total honesty is the goal, and there are various levels we must go through in order to reach that goal. The kind of honesty I'm talking about means you don't lie to yourself and you don't lie to other people. It means you quit pretending to be something you're not. Quit pretending to be something you're not. It means giving up this halfway type honesty and going after the real thing. Absolute, total honesty. It means, you know what it means? Being what you are. It means being what you are. Saying what you mean. Doing what you think is right regardless of the consequences. That's honesty. In other words, honesty is the state of being undeceived and undeceived. Can you see that? Undeceived and undeceived. I ain't conning you, and I ain't conning me. Now, honesty is a state of being. That's what I'm getting at. It's what you are. People are honest. Ask yourself. You've never cheated. You've never stolen. Are you really honest? Ask yourself. In terms of alcohol, have you been honest? In terms of your relationships with other people, have you been honest? How do you get honest? Oh, that's neat, Tom. Stand up there and tell us we've got to be absolutely honest. How do we get honest? What did we say? 
to practice the principle of honesty. How do you do this? Here are a few suggestions. I'm not going to leave you out in the cold. Okay? Ten of them. Where your alcoholism is concerned, the beginning step, the first level of honesty for the alcoholic is to admit that he cannot drink like other people, he cannot control his drinking, and he cannot quit drinking in and of himself. That's the beginning level of honesty. The first step in the program. That's it. And without that, there's no sobriety. Second, make a firm and honest decision to be honest. Okay? Admit what you are now and make a decision to be honest. Third, look at your past for dishonesty and dishonest patterns of living. Fourth, tell someone else all the truth about your dishonesty. Get it out of your system. Fifth, ask God to remove dishonesty from your life and to help you be honest. Sixth, try to be honest today. Keep trying. Watch for dishonesty in yourself. When you spot it, admit it. Eighth, deal fairly and honestly with the people right here. Ninth, associate yourself with some other people who are trying to learn honesty. That's important. Tenth, get a teacher in honesty. Get a teacher, a person who has learned how to be honest, who knows the principles, has done the principles, has practiced the principles, has grown to a certain level, and is a relatively honest person. Get that person to help you. Another one, this is a real kicker if you really want to try it. Live your life today as if it were a film and God was watching it. Live your life today as if it were a film and God was watching it. You'd be surprised how honest you'll get. Through practicing the principle of honesty, you will eventually become honest. Your actions are going to move you toward your goal, and you will gain in honesty every day. Remember, growth is gradual and painful. Remember, too, you'll never be totally honest. But nourish what honesty you got. Feed it. Be gentle with it. Just like you would with a growing child. A part of sobriety is the principle of honesty. You practice that principle, you grow towards sobriety and become a more honest human being. <clears throat> the next principle I want to talk to you about is unselfishness. Unselfishness. What is it? What do we mean by that? Unselfishness has been defined and described as being generous, open, altruistic, self-forgetful, and of service to others, just to name a few. Real unselfishness is hard to spot because, like real honesty, real unselfishness is a state of being. How many of you know people who give the appearance of being generous and open and giving service to others, and yet you know that these people are not really unselfish? Why? Because you know that their motive for service, their motive for generosity, is to get something in return. Their motive, then, is selfish. A good example of this. A mother who bails her son out of jail every time he gets locked up. Okay? She's generous. She's altruistic. She's also a martyr. She's living in self-pity. And she's bailing that boy out of jail every time he gets in there. Why? So that she can say to him, after all I've done for you, 
How can you do this to me? Another example of a false unselfishness is the drunk who goes in a bar, buys drinks for everyone in the bar. Generous, isn't he? Like hell he is. He's trying to get their attention. He's trying to get their approval. He's trying to come close to that thing that all human beings need, love. Real unselfishness seeks absolutely no return. Him. Real unselfishness seeks absolutely no return. An unselfish person gives for free. No strength. An unselfish person gives because he wants to. No strength. Ever. Unselfish, bottom line, is wanting for other people exactly what you want for yourself. Unselfishness is wanting for other people exactly what you want for yourself and giving it to them first with no thought of return. Wanting for other people exactly what I want for myself and giving it to them with no thought of return. You ever heard this statement, love your neighbor as yourself, do unto others as you would have them do unto you? Please describe unselfishness pretty well. The real key to becoming unselfish is to realize fully your true oneness with other people. We've talked before. What you do to someone else returns to you. What I do to you will affect me. If what I do for you is good, I'll get good in return. If bad, I'll get bad in return. There's another spiritual law, and it's like begets like. You understand that? Good begets good. Evil begets evil. It's a spiritual law. And every one of us have experienced it in everyday life. Think about this sometimes. We are many. We are unique. We are individual. Yet we are one. This is one of those paradoxes of life that we have to understand. But the moment that you realize that what you do to someone else is going to be done to you, it might change the behavior. How do you practice unselfishness? First, treat them like you would like to be treated. At first. Second, give them what you know they want and give it for free. Put their needs first. Be willing to sacrifice. Offer them your care, your love, your understanding, and your help. Make available to them your most precious gift. Do you know what the most precious gift is? Can anybody answer that question? What is the most precious gift that you have to give to somebody else? Who can answer that? Jay, can you answer that? Huh? Yourself. I am the most precious gift that I can give to you, and you are the most precious gift you can give to me. And we go right over that. We love our children by buying them things. We love our wives by taking them out to dinner. greatest gift in the world that any human being has to give is himself or herself. True. Now, if you do these things and practice this principle, you're going to grow in unselfishness. Remember, it's a process, not an event. And unselfishness is also a part of the bride. Another principle. Purity. Boy, there's a lot of confusion about this. 
Some people think uh, purity is being chaste and clean and virginal, whatever that is. I never even understood that word. Uh, some even think they're pure if they don't use bad language. And some others think they're pure if they studiously observe the rules of some religion. That's a story. A friend, a person I love very much, stayed over in the program for two years, and he called me about three weeks ago. He was drunk. I said, what happened? Well, he said, I got saved. Now look, don't put down religion and don't think I'm putting it down. This is one instance. He said, I got saved. Now that means a lot of things to a lot of people. And I said, oh, good. And uh, he said, but I've been drunk ever since. I've been drunk ever since I got saved. And I said, did you quit going to meet him? He said, yeah. And I said, why? Listen to his answer. Those people at that meeting were using profanity. And I couldn't take it anymore. Those people at that meeting were using profanity, and I couldn't take it anymore. I said, tell me something. Where are the cussers? He said, they're still in AA. They're still sober. I said, does that tell you anything? And he said, no, what do you mean? I said, you are the one, my friend, who was profane. Because profanity is treating something sacred with disrespect. And you judge those people and you condemn those people, and it's you who are profane, and it doesn't surprise me that you got drunk. Oh, he says, I never thought about that. Make no mistake about it. Now, if we're to believe the greatest spiritual teachers of all history, we've got to get down to the real thing with purity. I'm not saying go out and cuss either. Don't get me wrong. I'm not defending it. I'm not saying it's right. Okay? But we've got to go deeper than mere language. We're dealing with a problem that consumes us. And superficial purity will not get it. I know many alcoholics don't cuss and they're drunk. The greatest spiritual teacher is this. Here, Jesus says, Although these people around me honor me with their lips, their hearts are far from me. Just doing a few external things like not cursing and not fornicating and not breaking religious rules is not enough. These things are important, but it's not enough. It doesn't go deep enough. A person can do these things and not be pure at all. Some of the rottenest people in the world don't cuss, don't fornicate, and go to church every Sunday. You know this and I know this. Real purity. Real purity. Absolute, total purity like real honesty and real unselfishness, is an inner state of being. It refers to the way you are inside. Now, without intending to indoctrinate you into any particular religious belief, okay, let's consider what that carpenter had to say about purity. Just for a minute. Open your mind. Mind you, bang shut. Keep your mind open for just a minute. He said, and I quote, Blessed are the pure in heart. End of quote. Please turn your tape. Do not rewind. Turn your tape and continue on slide two. What do you mean by that? Let's speculate a minute. The heart's inside of us, isn't it? 
And we know that he was referring to the inside of a man, his real motive, his thoughts, and his feelings. That's the heart. Now, if heart means inside, then pure heart means pure inside, doesn't it? Pure thoughts and motives and feelings. So could he not have meant that the pure in heart are those who are free from bad motives, selfish thoughts, and bad feelings? Other descriptions of purity support this, and we feel it's important to share them with you. Here are a couple. Purity. Being free from fault or guilt or anything else that weakens you is purity. Having one overriding attitude instead of a mixture of attitudes which creates confusion is purity. In other words, you got your goal, you know where you're going, you have the single eye, as they used to say, you're headed toward that, and your thoughts pure, and your motives pure. And these descriptions point out two important things. Purity is being free from anything which weakens you, including negative feelings, and yes, including profanity. And the second thing is purity is having one overriding attitude which ends all this confusion. Why do you think we tell you, keep your mind on sobriety? Keep your mind on sobriety. Why do you think we tell you first things first? Keep it clear. Keep the channel clear. Put your eye on one thing at a time. Quit trying to run around trying to do it all at once. Set yourself a goal. Go for it. Now, here's another point. All impurity arises from self centeredness All of it. All sickness and sanity arises from self centeredness Now, what is purity we're talking about? This might surprise somebody, this definition. Purity is the full realization that God is the only power in this universe. It ain't me. It ain't you. I don't run it. You don't run it. The full realization that God is the only real power in this universe is what spiritual teachers have told us is purity. Is there a word that comes to mind, Jack? Anonymity. Anonymity. Now, if you keep your mind on that fact, this one overriding attitude, God's the only power in this universe, it's going to keep you from trying to run things. Now, how do you become pure? First, first is the heart. Realize that the higher power and not you is the number one person in this universe. That's hard for us to do. Second, Try to find out what that power wants you to do and how he wants you to be. Find out. Third, through self-searching, dump that old self-centered bunch of ideas and thoughts and clean up your inside. Fourth, now, with clean inside, you can now succeed in cleaning up the outside. Hear me? Pure in heart. Clean up the inside first and the outside will clean itself. Once you've done that inside work, you don't have to worry about lying and stealing and all these other forms of impurity or profanity. Once the inside's cleaned out, they just won't happen because the inner produces the outer. Sobriety includes purity. You know, the director of this center here and myself used to get together on Sunday mornings when I lived in church with pray and meditate and read. And we were reading from this old book called the Philokalia. And we just turned to it and we'd read something and we'd pray and meditate. 
And we're trying something one morning, and this was written by a uh, monk, okay? Not a drunk, a monk. And you know what he said? Sobriety, in the Bible analysis, is purity of heart. This wasn't a drunk talking. He was talking about sobriety, Jay. The kind we're talking about. A new outlook, a new mind, a new way of thinking and feeling and doing things. Just thought I'd throw that out. The next principle is love. Oh boy, don't we abuse that one. Love. Maybe it's the most important. And probably no word has more connotations and has created more confusion than the word love. Love is considered many things by many people. Some think it's a feeling, just a feeling and emotion. Others think love is a sexual act. Others see it as my responsibility for you. Others equate love with God. One psychologist says love is unconditional positive regard. That sounds pretty, but it doesn't mean a damn thing. Unconditional positive regard. Huh? Still others see love, listen, as the purest form of action. The Greeks, you know, smart people, cleared all this stuff up. They didn't have one word, one word for uh, love. They had four. Okay? And to transliterate these words, one word for love was, you pronounce that Fulon, okay? And that's pure old getting it on. That's sexual intercourse, all right? They had another word for love. This is the one that the poet wrote about. Eros, romantic love. Another type of love, the Greeks had. Agape. And agape love is a love like God. You love everybody unconditionally and the same no matter what they are and no matter what they do. And the last form of love that they talked about and had a word for was philo, which meant brotherly love. Now, the love we're talking about up here is most definitely not sexual love and romantic love, okay? Even though many of us try to solve our problems by falling in love, huh? I just fall in love, and everything will be all right. I'm glad I never did that. Okay. Since none of us is God, the agape love is out too. And that leaves us with this one. Brotherly type love. Excuse me, ladies, it's also sisterly type love. I have to watch that. Okay. The love which I'm talking about is made up of certain elements. Okay? Certain elements. The first element in love is care. We take care of those we love. We take care of those we love. We try to discover their needs and we try to fill those needs to the best of our ability. And we are actively concerned with their well-being. We care about them. The second element in love is responsibility. Hope you read down that way. Responsibility. Now, we don't mean by responsibility in love that it's a duty. Responsibility is a response to the needs of others. We respond to the needs of people if we're going to love them. The third element in the love I'm talking about is respect. 
We respect those whom we love. We truly love a person when we see that person like he or she is and respect his or her right to be that way without trying to make any change in them. We don't try to control him. We don't try to exploit him. And we don't allow him to exploit us. Now, love is a combination of attitude, care, and respect, and action, responsibility. So how can anyone believe that love is just a feeling? Because love includes good attitudes and good actions. Good feelings may be a part of love, and they may not be. But if you have the proper attitude and take the right action, it's possible for you to love anyone, whether you like him or not. Now, let's give a definition. It may seem strange to some of us. Love is responsible behavior towards other people based on care and respect for them. Love is responsible behavior towards other people based on care and respect for them. There's a good book current now called The Road Less Traveled, and it's written by a psychiatrist named Scott Peck, a beautiful man. And his definition of love is the will to extend yourself for the purpose of your own or another person's spiritual growth. Love means extending yourself. What does extending yourself mean? Growing. Growing. Love more than anything else is an action, not a feeling. Feelings may come with it. Feelings may not come with it. Love stays. How do you go about loving people? First thing is the hardest thing of all. You accept them as they are. I can think of very few relationships in my life where I haven't seen that I could make that other person better. Have you? And I set out to change them and make them over. I'm not talking about something I did ten years ago. I'm talking about something I still do. Oh, he could be so wonderful, so I try to make him wonderful. He hasn't fulfilled his potential, so I try to bring out the potential. Wow. Accept them as they are. Just like they are. Second thing, develop tolerance and patience for their individuality. Let them agree and disagree with you when they want to. Let them be themselves. Third, let your actions toward them be positive no matter what their actions toward you may be. Fourth, be concerned for their well-being, even if you don't like them. Next, concentrate on the good that is in them especially when they're acting badly toward you. Next, be aware of and responsive to their needs and help them when they ask you, provided such help is good for them. Seventh and most importantly, apply all of the above to yourself. Listen, apply all of these things to yourself. In other words, Accept yourself as you are. Second, develop tolerance and patience for your own individuality. Third, let your actions toward yourself be positive no matter how you feel about yourself. 
Fourth, be concerned for your own well-being, even if you don't like you. Fifth, concentrate on the good that is in you. Sixth, be aware of and responsive to your own needs. Simply put, love yourself. Love yourself. Or we forget that. Now, sobriety in the sense that we're talking about includes love. Love includes care, respect, and responsibility. Love is responsible behavior towards others based on care and respect for them. Think about it. Now, we suggested to you when we started that sobriety is an art. And we said that an art is the ability to systematically apply knowledge in order to obtain the desired result. Two essential elements in learning any art, get the knowledge, put the knowledge into practice. Now, in this lesson, we've tried to give you the necessary knowledge. And by the way, I can give you some copies of this necessary knowledge after the class. And we have described the principle that you can use to grow towards sobriety. Now, here's the point. We've done what we can do. The rest is up to you. The directions are there. The knowledge is there. The learning is up to you. So from this point on, action is the magic word. We've given you the knowledge. You try to do it. Now, like I say, I can give you copies of this. Go sobriety. Sobriety is gained by practice of certain principles of which you gain knowledge, and you grow in the process toward learning sobriety, which is an alcohol-free state of being characterized by freedom and happiness, and a really sober person is an honest person, an unselfish person, a pure person, and more than anything else, a loving Sobriety, one more time, is not just not drinking. But I'll tell you something else. Unless you grow in sobriety, you will lose even that which you have. In other words, unless you know and do these principles, you will drink again. I appreciate your time and your attention today, and I love you. Thank you.